0: This is recording number 10830 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the 21st message in the Outpouring series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, August 23, 2009. This message is titled, Full Circle. Acts chapter 19. Most of you are pretty familiar with where that book is now these days because we have been involved in the study of this book since uh, the first of the year. We're going to conclude today. Yes, you heard me right. We're going to conclude today. Um, So we've been working with the title The Outpouring because at the very beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus said, You'll receive power. You'll receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses to me. You will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, that's where they were, in Judea, which was the county surrounding Jerusalem. Samaria, which was the next county over, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So this rippling effect of the gospel, Jesus was saying, was going to take place as the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those early followers. And we've been watching as we've made our way nearly verse by verse through uh, the book of Acts. To this point, we've been watching this ripple effect take place and the marvelous things that we've observed as we've been talking about um, primitive Christianity. Often when we use the word primitive, we're talking about something that's uh, you know, less than fully developed or something that uh, needs uh, con- uh, continued uh, growth or um, refinement. But in the case of the Church of Jesus Christ, it appears over the last 2,000 years of church history that uh, our refinement has not always been the best thing for the uh, the church and uh, so we've been taking our time to make our way back through this record that that the physician Luke was writing to record what it was like in those early days uh, of the church after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and left these twelve followers and those others who had been, uh, which amounted to about 120 people that had been, you know, uh, with him through his ministry, um, when he left them and to uh, expand and extend the gospel through the whole world, uh, we've been seeing something alive, powerful, wonderful, amazing, uh, sometimes. Uh, Disconcerting and challenging as we look at it from our vantage point, but something we long to experience more of. We began back in January talking about these things because I just felt like the Lord wanted for us to have an opportunity to see, as we looked at this book, what His church was meant to be like and how we could perhaps allow Him to be uh, to shape us as individual, uh, individual believers and as a church family to be more like that. More like what we read in these pages. Now, the book of Acts continues on for another ten chapters or so. Um, but we're going to close up here today at chapter 19, the first part of, of chapter 19. Because, n- not that the balance of the book isn't worthy of study, it certainly is. Um, and maybe we 'll do it at another time, but our purpose in engaging in this study kind of is fulfilled at this point because what happens from here on is uh, the apostle paul who 's become a major force in the in the church in those early days and has been responsible with his missionary journeys uh, of taking the gospel into Asia and then into europe um, is uh, now he he 'll return to um, Jerusalem, where you know events will unfold that will cause him to be as a prisoner taken to Rome, and so the the balance of this book surrounds uh, Paul and his personal ministry as opposed to the expansion of the church. And so our purpose kind of is fulfilled here today, and that's why we're going to uh, conclude at this point. Um, but we're going to be talking about uh, how. In chapter 19, the first 20 verses, we really come full circle, full circle. Now, when I perform weddings, uh, you've, you've seen this before. I can't get my ring off to, to illustrate, but um, I, uh, I will often take the rings of the bride and groom and, and remark about a couple of things. One, the, the precious metal that the ring is made of. And the gemstones that may be a part of it. And how the value of that speaks so highly about what we, how we value marriage and our relationships in it. But I'll also talk about the shape of the rings, a circle. And a circle really uh, goes on and on. Where's the beginning and the end of a circle? When we talk about full circle this morning, we're not talking about having completed something. Sometimes that term is used that way. Full circle, you, you make your way and you come to the end and stop. But I mean it today more in, in the terms of I, when, I was de- when I described the rings that married couples are going to place on, their, on each other's hands, is that there is no beginning or end to it. It continues on. It continues on. So what we've watched in the development of the church in those early days is something God intended to go on. To go on, and uh, as we're going to look at the church that develops in a city called Ephesus, which would be located in modern-day Turkey, so in Asia Minor, the gospel has spread through Paul's ministry to this city, and the church that develops there in Ephesus is the, the description that we will look at this morning is so much the same. As what we read about so many months ago when we talked about the church in Jerusalem, the first church. And it's just so thrilling to me to see that even though so many miles and so many cultures have been bridged by the gospel, God's intentions for what his church should be like have not changed and even as the gospel has rippled out from Jerusalem and now all the way into Asia Minor, and then we'll see how even from there and from the Ephesian church, it touches uh, many other parts of Europe and Asia, the basic characteristics of, a pr- of primitive Christianity, or primitive church, remain. So let's take a look, beginning verse 1, chapter 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth... That Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. Some of you will remember that last week we left off with Paul beginning his third missionary journey. On his third missionary journey, he doesn't really cover any new ground. He revisits places that he's been. And uh, you'll also remember that we've talked about, within the last few weeks, about a guy named Apollos who became a, a... a powerful protagonist for the, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a teacher and evangelist. And how, remember when we were talking about take this job and love it. Remember Aquila and Priscilla added to the um, development of this guy, Apollos. These tent makers, God used them to instruct him more fully in the way of Jesus Christ. Anyway, Apollos has now left from Ephesus, gone to Corinth. And while he's there, Paul is making his way and comes to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, verse 2, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So he encounters now... Paul has already been to Ephesus and established a church there. He left Aquila and Priscilla there, remember? And then Apollos came and ministered in Ephesus. So there's been ministry going on and a church established there. Uh, But Paul, when he revisits Ephesus, finds this group of believers that we'll find in a few minutes, numbers about a dozen, and... They've received the gospel, and they've come to faith in Christ, but there's a few things kind of not quite squared away in terms of their understanding about some of the basics of their faith. So we don't know how that happened. We don't know if they received the Lord as a result of Apollos' ministry or uh, Aquila and Priscilla's ministry or Paul, Paul's first visit likely none of those scenarios uh, resulted directly in these, this group of people receiving the Lord they are probably second generation believers so that uh, Aquila and Priscilla and, uh, and Apollos and Paul as they administered and, rec- and people received the gospel they communicated the gospel to their friends and neighbors and somewhere along the line you ever played that game Telephone? Somewhere along the line, some things didn't get quite transmitted. But hallelujah. It's okay. And I point this out because you and I, we're always just a little bit nervous about, you know, what if, what if God puts me in a position to, where somebody asks me how could they be saved? Or what's this whole thing about Jesus all about? I don't know what I'd say. I don't know what you'd say either, and sometimes I worry about that. But... <laughs> <laughs> But God doesn't worry about that. That's the beauty of this whole thing. That's why I started off this uh, segment with that video because he's not interviewing us to make sure that we're theologically... you know, that we're graduates of some theological seminary before he, sends, he entrusts us with the gospel. He simply says, go. Take, take this, this vibrant, vital testimony of your life in Jesus and spread it around. It's okay because eventually... Things will get cleaned up. Paul will show up and straighten out their theology, you know, like he does here. So he finds these people. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And yes, they did, by the way. When we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit is the agent of salvation. He is the third member or the yeah, the third member, third person of the Trinity, who actually is the one who indwells us. When we open our hearts to Christ in faith, it's the Holy Spirit. That takes residence in us. So yes, they had received the Holy Spirit. But their answer to him was, uh, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? A holy ghost? You know, they, they don't quite get that. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said to him, into John's baptism. Now what they're referring to here is John the Baptist. And you will remember the ministry of John the Baptist that was preceded Jesus' ministry. John was Jesus' cousin. And John was preparing people for the ministry of Jesus by calling them to repent and get their lives right with God. And as a symbol of them repenting, he would immerse them in the water. Now, after Jesus and the the church is born, uh, baptism is is, is in the name of Jesus. And not just under repentance, but in fact, demonstrating New life, and you know, we talked all about uh, baptism a few weeks ago, water baptism. So I won't go into that now. But Paul says uh, to them, or he, he asked them, "Well, then, you know, what kind of baptism did you guys experience?" And they said, "John's baptism." So then Paul said, "Well, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on uh, him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ or on Christ Jesus." And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul. Instructs them about water baptism. Notice that Paul considers this important, and then they are he makes sure they are baptized with the right understanding Baptized in water, understanding the importance of it. Wasn't it thrilling when we were out on the on the parking lot a few weeks ago and got to participate with all of those men and women who were baptized? And uh, it's just a very, very powerful, wonderful thing. And Paul makes sure that these folks have that experience. He he considers it so important that he doesn't leave it undone. So when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now this is different than... Now, this is a, a, a broadening of these people's relationship with the Holy Spirit. Not only is the Holy Spirit in them, indwelling them, because they've come to faith in Christ, but as Paul ministers to them, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. It released through them an overflowing. And you'll remember that we've talked about that, too, as we've made our way through the book of Acts. Um, so he laid hands on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months. Remember, this is Paul's way. When he comes to a city, he goes to the synagogue and he preaches there and explains how the the Jewish scriptures uh, uh, declare, what they declare about the Messiah and how Jesus meets all of those descriptions. That Jesus is the Messiah. So he goes into the synagogue and he's there for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, and that's what you know this—that's uh, what Christianity is being called now by by the uh, nonbelievers or or uh, unbelieving Jews or Greeks or Romans. They're they're being called. It's called the way. The way. So he says some people are speaking evil of the way um, before the multitude. So Paul departed from them and withdrew the disciples. So he leaves the synagogue. And he begins reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So, we don't know all of the circumstances, but basically he's moved to uh, another another building, a rented location. This guy, Tyrannus, must have had an auditorium of some sorts that was used for some form of instruction or whatever. And Paul sets up shop there and continues uh, his ministry. Verse 10, and this continued for two years. So, Paul just Ongoing On an ongoing basis is ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ and teaching from the word in this uh, hall of Tyrannus uh, for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Emanating from this pebble that's dropped into the city of Ephesus, the waves begin to go out and and touch all of, of Asia. And so that it says here that all of the people in the surrounding regions have heard something about the gospel verse 11 now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them I want you to note here that it isn't the healings or the deliverances that are unusual let's just get that on the record What's unusual is the mode that these miracles, by which these miracles take place. That handkerchiefs or aprons, from having touched Paul's body, people will take those and say, Here, be healed. And God was gracious to miraculously heal people. Uh, Verse 13, Then some of the itinerant uh, Jewish exorcists, you know, you get what that means. These These are Jews. These are not Christians. These are Jews who uh, try to help people who have uh, problems with demonization. And uh, they took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. They started to see that Paul and the other disciples were kind of having some uh, effect and impact on people's lives in, in uh, uh, breaking demonic strongholds and bondages in the name of Jesus. So they said, well, we'll give that a whirl. And uh, so they started uh, to call the name of the Lord over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Um, also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, who did so. So this, this particular group of, of uh, itinerant um, exorcists, Jewish exorcists. Verse 15, And the evil spirit answered and said to these sons of Sceva, Jesus I know... And Paul, I know. This is a demon speaking. You know, these sons of Sceva said, In in the name of the Lord who Paul preaches. A demon speaks back to them and says, Now, Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who in the heck are you? (laughs) Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded Verse 16, or excuse me, 17. This became known, this incident became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear or reverence or awe fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Why? Not because of the, you know, uh, intensity uh, of this particular encounter, but because people, when they heard about it, realized that, you know, this is serious stuff. This isn't just some sort of philosophy that intelligent people are battering around. This is real. This touches people's lives. And they were sobered by that. Um... And it says, Fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Verse 18. And many who believed came confessing and telling their deeds. The result was that people who were called Christians, people who were followers of Christ, were sobered up by the fact that this is not just some sort of fairy tale. This is not just some sort of another religion. This is the real deal. And it's life and death and there is a real conflict between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light i want to make sure i'm on the right side and so they start confessing their sins even though they've been they've come to faith in christ and had their sins forgiven there's still you know you come to christ you cross that boundary from doubt into the faith and you know you're not instantaneously mother teresa there's stuff right <laughs> Following us in our wake that God begins to deal with. That's, that process is called sanctification. That's a holy word. You can just write it down and, I don't know, memorize it or something. <laughs> you certainly won't be using it in daily conversation, I'm sure. But that's, that's what the Bible refers to and it says to be sanctified or sanctification. That process of God starting to deal with our junk. So these people, they said, wow, I want to be on the right side here. And they, they, they come confessing their, their junk. Also, verse 19 says, many of those who, pra- who had practiced magic, or and, and, that, and we're not talking about magic tricks here, we're talking about um, false, false gods, false religions, we're talking about cultish practices, you know, witchcraft, things like that. These people who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of sir- silver. I remember when I was... Um, a, a teenager, and and I was so into some. Uh, how many had a chance today, uh, this past week to take a look at some of those old pictures of me in in that band that I sent you? Okay, okay so picture that guy. Okay, uh, and, and he and that guy, <laughs> that guy who used to be so much into, you know, music that that's what I that's what I lived for, and uh, I used to. Well, I won't even go into it. but I was the guy when they used to have record stores, you know, and I know nobody knows what that is anymore. But I, I used to be the guy waiting outside, you know, for, for them to open the doors. And then I'd be there standing there when the people are unloading the shipments of these newly pressed albums of my favorite artists. That was me. So I, I was that guy. But when I really gave my life to the Lord, and, and I really, I, you know, when I came to, to Christ as a, as a young man, I, I just, young teenager, really, I, I mean, I went whole hog, and I've never looked back. But one of the things the Lord started to deal with me was that I, I had made music my God, and the Lord made it clear he wasn't going to compete with something else in my life. And so I, I, I had this one day where I just, I gave away, and I, I should have burned them, but it would have been a toxic mess. <laughs> so I gave away all of my albums and, you know, 50,000 pieces of silver, I don't know what that relates to in terms of dollars, but it was a sizable chunk of money for a teenager that I was giving away that day. But you know what? It was so, so wonderful. I had the... I had to start writing my own songs because I didn't have anything to listen to. But, but, but you know, um, it was so wonderful to be free of that and just be focused on God, not have, you know, this, this stuff going on in my, in my life. And so that's what happens here. These people, they get serious about God. And they start, you know, getting rid of all the stuff that, that com- uh, would conflict or po- pollute their relationship with God in any way. Verse 20, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now, that's a, that's a uh, snapshot of the church in Ephesus. And as I said, if we went back... And took a look at the church in Jerusalem, the first church. And we we all did. We spent time there talking about those things. And what's transpired as the church has developed since, we would see the same kinds of things, almost word for word, the same kinds of things that we see describing the church of Ephesus also described the very first church. And so it's just lovely to see the transmission of this gospel and God's intentions for what his church should be like. Being, transfer, uh, uh, being transferred from city to city over miles and cultures. And it is my belief that God wants this church to be like the first one. And nothing's changed. We may live in a different day. We may, we may drive ourselves around in cars instead of walk everywhere we go. We may eat at McDonald's instead of having pita bread sitting around on the floor. We may do things differently. But it is my intention or my belief that it's God's intention that his church be the same in terms of its principles, maybe not the patterns, not, maybe not the specifics of how we do certain things, but the principles that guide them. Is God's intention that his church be the same. This one be like the first one. So <clears throat> all we're going to do now for the rest of the time we have together, which won't, I promise won't take long, is enumerate some of the things that we see as characteristics of a primitive church In the the passage that we've just read. And really, it it just captures all the things that we've been talking about over the last eight months. And as we move on from here to the things that the Lord has in store for us in terms of our times together, our, our development as a church family, let's take this stuff with us. Amen? Let's reorient ourselves to this, pledge ourselves to this, and take this with us. Characteristics of a primitive, quote, quote, primitive church. First, the gospel is central. In this passage that we read, the very first thing out the chute is that Paul encounters people who have received the gospel, these 12 people. Whatever else was going on, the gospel was central to to, um, what the church was. The gospel, by the way, is not a, a mysterious thing. It's simply good news. That's what it means. The good news, I used to be a sinner and separated from God, but Jesus paid for that so that I can have my sins cleansed and belong to, be restored to a relationship with God. That's the gospel. It's the best news in all the world. And that is the thing that's always number one. That is true north for the church of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we see is that repentance is the response. You know, even these guys, uh, this 12 group of about 12 men that we talked about at the beginning of this passage. that didn't quite have all their theology straightened out just yet. One thing they knew, coming to Christ means repentance, means turning away from sin. That's what repentance means, by the way. It's not beating your breast and saying, oh, I'm such a lousy person. I'm just, I hate myself. I'm so sorry, God. Now, there, can be, there should be probably godly sorrow involved in coming to faith in Christ. But repentance isn't that. Repentance is simply making a decision that the way I've been going is not God's way. I'm not going to go that way anymore. I'm going to go His way. Turning 180 degrees. Repentance. I repent. I'm going your way now, God. And even these guys who didn't quite have all of the theology straightened out, they knew that following Jesus meant repentance. That's why they were baptized in the baptism of John, a baptism of repentance. Repentance is the response. When we... We want to be a church that helps people understand that the way, they're, the way they're going apart from Christ is a destructive path. It's ruining them. And invite them to come to know forgiveness of sins and what it's like to start going the other way. That's primitive Christianity, primitive church. The gospel is central. Repentance is the response and water baptism is celebrated. It's not, just a, it's not just a sort of an add-on. It's not just a ritual or a rite or something that you just have to kind of do to make sure you, you, know, you fill, fulfill all the requirements. It's something very powerful, very important, very releasing in our lives. And I've, we've, we've spent much time on that in the last few weeks, so I'll move on. But water baptism was celebrated. That's why Paul made a point. To help these guys get their thinking about baptism straightened out, and made sure that they got baptized in the name of Jesus. And the primitive church, um, in the primitive church, spirit fullness is embraced. Not we are not afraid of all that hocus pocus stuff. It is the power Jesus said. You will receive power. He started his church with these words. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. To try to have a church that resembles anything like the Jerusalem church, the first church, without a full embrace of the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon us is futile. It's futile. Because we don't possess in and of ourselves... Enough wisdom, enough skill, enough creativity to do the work that Jesus has called us to do. The problems that people face, the issues of their lives require the impact of the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Spirit fullness is embraced. And throughout these pages, dear one, remember again and again and again as we've made our way through the book of Acts. When we find people who receive the gospel, turn from their sins, are baptized in the name of Jesus. And a church is established there is the... The ministry of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, those people get immersed in. They come under the influence of overflowed by the power of the Holy Spirit, not just indulged by, but overflowed by. And the result, again and again and again, is a supernatural enabling to communicate with God in tongues. And you can, uh, I, throughout the rest of the New Testament, although there are a number of spiritual gifts, I won't take time to talk about today as we have at other times. Two rise to the top, tongues and prophecy. And that's what we see happen here in Acts chapter 19, when these people are baptized in the Holy Spirit. When they are filled with the Spirit, they prophesy and they speak in tongues. Some of the other characteristics of the primitive church are Bible teaching is prioritized. Paul set up shop in the synagogue for three months, preached the Bible, preached Bible. Then he moved on to uh, the Hall of Tyrannus for for another two years, just taught these people the Bible. And there's all kinds of stuff that people can do when they get together. We can have songs, we can have dances, we can have food, we can have all sorts of things. But one, if but the primitive church, the Church of Jesus Christ, makes a big deal about the Bible. (laughs) So that's why I'm standing up here right now talking to you out of it, and why we do that every week. Why we do that in our micro-church groups because the Bible, if we don't have the Word of God as our anchor, everything can just go haywire in a minute. But the Bible keeps us anchored. And so that's why you can move on from there to another uh, aspect of the characteristics of a primitive church, which which is that miraculous signs are anticipated. We've all encountered people who are all... You know, excited about miraculous signs. But somewhere along the way, they've lost their anchor to the Bible. Uh, It gets ugly. But if you stay anchored to the Bible, if you stay anchored to the scriptures. And embrace or welcome or anticipate that as a result of God's love for people. He's going to do spectacular things. Watch out. Because he will. He will. He will heal. He will deliver. He will provide. Two things kind of rise to the surface in terms of the, things, the miraculous things that God is doing. Healing is one of them. Healing for every part of the broken human condition. The, the brokenness that sin has wrecked human beings and the planet with God brings healing. Physical, emotional Spiritual. The other thing is uh, deliverance or breaking the strongholds of bondage on people, demonic bondage on people's lives. One of the other things that is a characteristic of the primitive church is that holiness is valued. Holiness is valued. All these people they started to wake up and say, "Wait a minute, this is serious business. I want to get my. I want to make sure that my life really gets in line." Uh, with, with God's intentions for my behaviors. And so they start confessing their sins. You know, this is, this is what I do when you guys aren't watching me. But I'm done with that. I'm done with that. And I want you to hold me accountable it, because I don't want to live that way anymore. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to live like that anymore. Now... We all know that sometimes breaking those habits and patterns in our lives is a, is a process. Sometimes it involves deliverance ministry. But almost always it involves accountability of some, por- some sorts. And so that's why these people were confessing. Look, I need your help. Hold me accountable. I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm a follower of Christ. They got serious about, how they're, about the behaviors of their life. And then they said, you know what? And I got a bookshelf at home full of nasty stuff. I got a bunch of crap on my computer that ain't gonna be there anymore. I'm hitting the delete button today. They got serious about holy living, and then finally, expansion is the result. It says in verse 20 that the uh, the word grew. It grew when people live like this, when a group of people commit themselves to following Christ in this way, people are drawn to it. You were drawn to it. I was drawn to it. We know intuitively that the life we're living ain't working out so good. And we see something Vibrant and vital. And connected with eternity in a way that, that just draws us. And I believe the church of Jesus Christ, this one. When we, shape, when we intentionally allow ourselves to be shaped by God. So that we look more like the first one. People will be drawn to him as a result. And the impact ripples out from there. So you had Jerusalem and the impact rippled out from there to Ephesus. From Ephesus began to ripple out again and touch all of Asia. All the Jews and all the Greeks, it says, heard about the gospel. The gospel spread. I believe God is still up to that same kind of stuff. How about you?